What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Off the Bench. I'm Brandon Carney, and I will be joined by my co-host, Pat Gustafson, here in a few minutes. Look, we record our podcast every Monday afternoon. Uh, we, we don't really have the schedule flexibility to do it another day, so... We recorded this podcast before NBA Finals Game 5 was played, but I couldn't have this podcast come out this week without me mentioning the Nuggets if they were able to finish things off in Game 5, which they were. So I'm throwing this little solo soliloquy onto the front end of the podcast this week uh, just to talk a little bit about the Denver Nuggets with, uh, you know, Pat. Pat is indisposed right now. That's why he cannot join me. So he's got to work or something. I don't know. Pretty stupid. I'm just so happy that the Nuggets were able to finish this off because all the the disrespect that I've seen for Nikola Jokic over the years has been almost unfathomable. I mean, I didn't realize that just because somebody plays in a sort of unathletic looking manner that people will just disregard his entire play style and impact on the game. This is a guy that, you know, advanced stats and analytics for years have said is one of the best players in the league, and yet people just refuse to believe it to a point where they were almost just disregarding those stats in general, saying they were invalid. Well, I hope that this performance and him finally winning an NBA championship proves to people that whatever advanced stat, metric, analytics you want to look at, uh, they were telling you the truth the entire time. Nikola Jokic, as we stand right now, is the best player in the NBA. I don't know how you argue it. I don't know how you look at any other player in the league and say that they command more of an impact over any given game, has the consistency that he has. Like, even if he's having an off shooting night, which doesn't really happen much because he takes such high-quality shots and has such a crazy touch around the rim, uh, even if that does happen, he is so good passing the ball, controlling the pace of the game, the tempo, it's unbelievable, and now the Nuggets were able to complement that this year by putting, you know, just amazing role players around him. You got Bruce Brown, Christian Brown, who we drafted, uh, Aaron Gordon, who's you know been here a few years now, but has just been an amazing sort of missing piece for this team, and of course Jamal Murray coming back and now being, you know, obviously full strength from the torn ACL he suffered a couple seasons ago, missing the past two postseasons before this one, being able to be an NBA champion. I'm just so happy to be able to see this team finish it off. And it's funny, like, obviously I'm incredibly excited, but I also, I knew this was coming. Like, I and I don't want that to sound cocky by any means, but watching this team and seeing how good they've been over the past few years in the rare times where they were full strength, I just knew that, you know, a couple of, like I said, those bench guys, those energy guys, you know, defense guys, uh, add in a couple of them and it was going to happen. The Nuggets just could not be healthy all at the same time, all their core guys. And I don't think it's a surprise that, you know, Jamal Murray back to full strength, um, you know, as soon as he kind of comes back, they finish it off. And, you know, they asked him about if this would have happened earlier, if he had never gotten hurt. And I absolutely think so. Like this is a Nuggets team that could have had a championship before now, but I mean, we can't complain. The Nuggets have just won their first ever NBA championship. I am elated. I think I just might be the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Shout out Lou Gehrig for both my basketball teams to be able to win a championship this year. It's it's insane. Um, the streets of Denver were lit, so keep an eye out for some videos I'll be posting throughout the week. Uh, I'm also going to be doing a full vlog on the experience because I was able to bring a, a nice little camera into the arena. Um, and of course, shout out Sports Illustrated who paid for my ticket to be able to go to this to begin with. Uh, but yeah, I, I couldn't just couldn't start this week's podcast despite our recording time and day without mentioning the Nuggets. I wasn't going to go a whole week without giving my thoughts on that. So the Denver Nuggets are your 2023 NBA champions. And now we can get into the rest of the podcast that we recorded a day prior to this. Uh, here is me and Pat talking about a little bit of football, starting with the Colts uh, controversy with their player who's been gambling. 
Why does this keep happening? We speculated on who the Colts' gambling uh, identity was last week. We, we talked about Mo Alley Cox, potential Ashton Duel. Pat, it's Isaiah Rogers. Well, we're we're gonna get sued. We're gonna get sued for sl- for uh, for slander on poor Mo Alley Cox. <laughs> I for, I forget who originally had the report, but like, what the fuck? Like, I yeah. didn't know who Isaiah Rogers was. No, I for that for him to say that the average NFL fan would know who Isaiah Rogers was. Oh, that insane. is insane. That is the stretch of all stretches. That is like PE fitness test. You are overweight, having to reach for your toes type of stretch. Like that is so egregious. And That's I know tough. that That's ultimately. Tough. I know, I know that ultimately this does not matter, but I'm still going to be mad about it. Like that, screw you, dude. Don't don't say the average NFL fan would know who that is because Isaiah Rogers, there will be people that ask them in a week, they still won't know who he is. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. here's the problem though, Pat. The, he, he may be facing an actual lifelong ban from the NFL and that would suck. But I mean, you look at the offense and you're not surprised. They're taking kind of the, the Pete Rose method and this guy is much less significant than Pete Rose was in baseball. So don't bet on your own team. Yeah. Don't bet on your own sport. No, Adam Adam Schefter said it best, and not to give him too much credit, but he he did like a radio hit where he's like, if you're sitting there betting on football, whether it's your team or not, you've got to know that you're doing something wrong. Yeah. And j- just the fact that, you know, like, I guess it's more excusable to say that these guys place any kind of bet on team, you know, on team facilities. But this guy was betting on football. Like, you've got to know. You've got to know. Yeah. You cannot do that. Absolutely. And I do want to clean something up and specify on the Jamison Williams suspension. So we've kind of been given Jamison Williams shit ever since that came out. And rightfully so, based on the information that we had, right? We were told that he was betting on uh, other sports, you know, still, but inside a team facility. And that we were like, how can you, you know, arrive on the Lions team facility, be in, in, in practice facility and pull out your phone and make a bet? Obviously practice is over, whatever, but still to be in a team facility and make a bet, how can you be that stupid? Details come out now that apparently he was in a team hotel likely during a road game and bet on a college football game. And so team hotel is being interpreted as team facility. I find that a little ridiculous. To me, I've arrived at a point where I kind of understand the discipline. I feel like six games may be even a little harsh given what we know now. I I understand the discipline, but also that being considered a team facility feels a a little strange to me. I'm... I'm exonerating Jamison Williams' stupidity. I, I no longer will hold that against him. Yeah, I, I get why that's a team facility, but I also get why you, as a player, you may not think it is. So, like, yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I guess cutting cutting him a little bit of slack. I mean, you, you know, you still, I, you know, if I was in the NFL, I just probably wouldn't be betting on anything to be to be completely and, honest with you. And and I think that's probably where we're heading. It's going to be like if there's a situation like that that's so particular and that you wouldn't necessarily think is anything wrong with it, um, just don't put yourself in that. You don't need to bet, man. These guys are making so much money, and I know that betting is usually about more than profiting. It's just about having a little fun and seeing if you can be right about this kind of stuff. Uh, but just just stay away from it, man. You guys don't need the money, and it's just not going to be worth it. Either that or the NFLPA needs to somehow get these these restrictions loosened because that that's silly. Like that he bet on you know probably rivalry week of college football dude's just in a hotel in Alabama game he's not playing most of the season so I'm sure he's bored and it's just it it just sucks but hopefully uh Jamison Williams can you know turn his career around and come back you know 
popping off after these six games, but we will see. Uh, Pat, oh, I did want to mention this. I should have mentioned this right off the top. Pat, we had a little bit of breaking news right before the podcast. Uh, nothing major, but James Robinson has been released by the Patriots after signing a two-year deal originally this offseason. James Robinson is no longer a New England Patriot. Not an overly consequential thing, but as a Patriots fan and as somebody rooting for James Robinson uh, you know, from his Jaguar days, sucks to see. I, I hate the fact that this injury seems to have kind of just cooked his career. Um, he seemed like he was in line for, you know, a, a, at least a backup role. I mean, Ramondre is going to get the lion's share of the carries. Ty Montgomery is going to handle the third down work most of the time. But uh, James Robinson, you would think, would spell him at times. Not going to be the case. James Robinson hits free agency. So just wanted to touch on that. Yeah, you know, I think at the end of the day, like, the, the injury really killed him. But this is an undrafted free agent. And more often than not, you know, these guys are undrafted for a reason. And, you know, he, he struck gold there for a little bit, and then, you know, one kind of injury with a guy who, you know, may not have been this high caliber of a player. You know, that's, that's going to happen. But, I, you know, I think it shows well for Pierre Strong. Like, you know, yeah. somebody asked last week, like, what we thought about OTAs, and it's not much. The only thing really is kind of just like the fringe guys. Yeah. Like, I don't care how guys are performing, but it's more so who's getting cut, who's sticking around. And I think this is a perfect example that Pierre Strong is probably going to be the third guy in a backfield where they, are, they may use three guys. Absolutely. James Robinson, I will forever remember you for my fantasy team, your rookie year. You were a lifesaver. I believe I headed into that year with basically only Ezekiel Elliott, who was still good at the time, as my running back. Otherwise, my RB2 would have been in a similar situation as to what I was this past year, Pat, with starting out with Chase Edmonds and then rotating a bunch of just garbage cans. But J-Rob allowed me to have just some really, really good running backs that year. So I will forever appreciate him for that. J-Rob, I salute you, and I hope you find a job elsewhere. Uh, Unfortunate to see him get cut. I mean, I'm sure he will. Hopefully, hopefully. I mean, you look at, they signed him to a two-year deal. That tells me that he was very unimpressive in these brief camp periods. And so they're like, we've seen enough, and we don't need you. And for a running back depth chart that, you know, it's not the deepest, but it's not the shallowest. Like, I would have thought he'd have a place there, but hopefully he catches on somewhere else. Pat, some bigger running back news. We talked last week speculating about Dalvin Cook seemed to be on his way out of Minnesota. It was all but done, but now it is done. Dalvin Cook has been released. Uh, we kind of struggled to figure out, you know, some landing spots for him, and it, it's even harder now, but at least he has hit the market. The one thing that we do know is kind of the money that he's looking for, and, and it does make sense. He is expecting to be paid more than $5 million a year. And that should be obvious because that's what the Vikings are going to be paying for his dead cap number. Yeah. And if he was if he was willing to accept $5 million, he would have just stuck around because the Vikings are now paying him to not be on their team that much money, or at least they're taking that much of a cap hit. They would have just kept him around if he was willing to accept that. So Dalvin Cook looking for something in, I mean, if it's not gonna be $5 million, I'm guessing between the 6 to $10 million annual range. And he said he's willing to wait uh, and find the right situation. And he's probably going to have to wait at that number, Pat. This is an incredibly interesting case study of running backs, I think, because it's a guy who we talked about last week has, you know, some juice left in the tank. We know he's probably got one or two more years of, of solid productivity, even though he took a, a, a nosedive in uh, efficiency last year. Probably, but, yeah, probably still in his prime, though. Probably still in his prime, even though it's the back end of it. So I'll be curious to see how the market values him. Um, but if he's saying he wants at least you know six million a year, that can be hard to fork over for these teams that you know see that lack of efficiency and have a decent running back or two on their roster already. Which, as we talked about, most teams do. Um, Pat, your prediction for where he was going to end up seems like the Broncos are in fact out. That is the mm. latest report on Dalvin Cook. Um, 
I mean, again, it makes sense. They have two running backs who, even though Javante Williams is expected to be, you know, maybe limited to start the year or, or on the pup list or whatever, uh, seems like he might be trending toward week one, even though he's going to be a, a little bit limited. They have Javante and they have Samaj P. Ryan. There's not really a ton of room for Dalvin Cook. Um, so unless Javante were to have a worst case scenario and have to yeah. miss a chunk of the beginning of the season, it didn't make a lot of sense. And then uh, if he honestly, did come back, it, it wouldn't really work either. Yeah, honestly, a situation almost similar that I've seen tossed around a little bit is the Jets. You know, uh, it seems that Brees Hall kind of had a bit of a cleaner tear than uh, Javante Williams and the fact that he only tore his ACL as opposed to Williams, who basically tore everything. Um, And, you know, if you're worried about Brees Hall not being there, Dalvin Cook's the perfect kind of guy. And, you know, you could ease your way back. They could split it 50-50 even because let's be honest here, like Michael Carter, Bam Knight, like, they're they're fine, but it's like it's it's not it's nothing. You'd be like, oh no, we don't need Dalvin Cook. We're all set. Yeah, it, so. it is a situation that fantasy managers are absolutely dreading because there are some backfields here that you look and you add Dalvin Cook to, and it might take it might take a guy who was you know kind of on your radar and just push him off of it because you've added Dalvin Cook to that backfield. You add Dalvin Cook to a Brees Hall backfield. Brees, anybody, everybody's going to be mad, whether you own him or not, because now he's not a guy you're even going to be targeting in fantasy drafts. That is not a backfield I want him to go to. I'm a big Brees Hall fan, and I think he's going to bounce back this season. I do not want Dalvin Cook muddying up that goddamn backfield to stay away. So, But again, it's where real football and fantasy football come into conflict. They would love to have him in that backfield, I'm sure, whether they want to do it at that price I don't know, but if you could say, hey, add Dalvin Cook to this backfield for free, they'd do it in a minute, whereas fantasy owners would be like, God, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the thing is, like, we, we've talked numerous times, you know, in the past few weeks about guys like Ezekiel Elliott and Kareem Hunt. Like, those are guys who are Leonard Fournette, guys who are clearly going to be the complement. Mm. You know, if they go somewhere, they're clearly going to be a second option, kind of a short down yardage kind of guy. Dalvin Cook is better than that. Like, Dalvin Cook is, like, a guy at the very least that probably commands, like, a 60-40 split. So yeah. in, it's just this point in the offseason, I think once we get into minicamp, you know, injuries, things like that is really what's going to open the door for him. So I, I really don't know where he's going to go. It could even be like with injuries, it could even be a team that's not on our radar right now. Yeah, it, it could be a long wait for Dalvin Cook. And you're right, it could be a situation where, you know, even you get to preseason games and somebody goes down with an unfortunate injury and then they bring in Dalvin Cook and they say, all right, this is this is your destiny, destiny now. But It's just, it's a really, really, really weird situation. It's so reflective of the entire running back market, Pat. And and another guy who's kind of struggling with the running back market is Saquon Barkley. Um, Saquon is unsure if he's going to reach a deal with the New York Giants. And this is something that's been, we've kind of been building toward, but it's also been a no news, might be good news kind of situation. Uh, But Saquon doesn't sound overly optimistic himself on the Giants getting a deal done with him. He's saying he's willing to listen, but it doesn't sound like they're close in money at all. And, you know, he came out and said, like, this is what happens. The market is going to get messed up when all of the top guys who were free agents got tagged. And that's what happened with Tony Pollard and Josh Jacobs and Saquon Barkley. Saquon now yet to sign his tag. Uh, Pat, how do you, what's your guess for how this plays out? Because I have no idea. This is a situation where I really hope it gets resolved because, again, the fantasy footballer in me is like, Saquon on the Giants, he's familiar with that team. He's the only weapon there. It's worked before. I would feel rock solid about him. I'd feel rock hard about Saquon as a first round pick. But if he goes somewhere else, I don't know. It gets messier. What's what's your feeling on this? I think he's going to be with the Giants, and I do think he's going to be on the field, whether they do reach a deal or whether he plays on the tag. I think, 
you know, there's been talk like, does he sit out? And we've seen recently, like, the, the most prolific guy to sit out was Le'Veon Bell. And we saw how his career just basically nosedived. He, he himself from, says he regrets it recently. From that point on, like, especially at Saquon, I mean, he's not old, but, you know, like, with the, the injuries he's got and, you know, the wear and tear he's got, you do not want to sit out a, a whole year. No. And, again, like, if I'm the Giants, I hold the line here. I don't. You know, let Saquon dictate it because, like I said, when they when they tagged Saquon and you know gave Jones the big deal, I said that that was a great move because running backs are replaceable. And I mean, granted, they really don't have an obvious replacement right now in that backfield, but like they they're improving on the offensive line, they're improving everywhere. It's like if Saquon says I'm going to sit out, or unless you pay me this, if I'm the Giants, I say okay. Like yeah, as, it, as great as he as great as he is, but you know, with the the risk of injury and just. I, I'm not a fan of paying running backs what he's looking for. Yeah, and it's a really weird situation because, Pat, somebody's lying. The, the latest quotes coming from Saquon were basically, you know, everything's painting me as being greedy. I, I don't want to reset the running back market. I just want to be paid what I'm worth. Either he is lying about that or the report that he turned down a deal worth close to $14 million a year is wrong because that the $14 million a year, let's say it's thirteen five, Sure. That is exactly in line with what he said, which is that he wants to be paid what he's worth, but not reset the market. Resetting the market would put him at 16, over 16 million, because that's what Christian McCaffrey is making per year. The 13.5 or 14, whatever, that would put him third highest running back paid above Derrick Henry, who's making 12.5 a year, below Alvin Kamara, who's making 15 a year. Yikes, by the way. Gross. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So uh, somebody's, there's some non-truth going on here. And look, when you're in heated negotiations with a star player, that's bound to happen. There's about to be bound to be some misinformation. I'm just curious who's lying. And to be honest, I feel like the report of the $14 million thing is probably just not true because I'm, I'm tending to believe Saquon in the sense that he just wants to be paid, you know, a decently big running back contract. And I feel like that $14 million a year figure, um, look, maybe there was some weird, lack of incentives in there something that he didn't like but I don't know I feel like that contract on its own on the surface would be enough to get him to sign I don't know it's, it's a very very weird situation I, I hope they can resolve it because again I in fantasy football I like to find guys who are kind of the safest possible picks in the first round and no matter how talented Saquon is switching teams makes you no longer a safe yeah. pick because you don't know exactly how another team is going to use him. You don't know exactly how he's going to adjust to their scheme, their line, whatever. I've seen him be productive on the New York Giants, and that's why I know he is one of my kind of most solid first-round picks, especially if you're targeting a running back. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. And, you know, again, especially like a guy with with the injury history. I mean, again, again granted, he proved everyone wrong last year. He, you know, he mm-hmm. stayed healthy, played a full season last year. Good for him. You know, we'll see if he can do it again. But I, I just think that the question marks are there enough for the Giants to kind of stand their ground. I think fourteen million would be fair. Yeah. Um, but if he wants more than that, then if I'm the Giants, like, I, I really don't know. But again, at the end of the day, I, I do think it either works out one way or another, and he's playing on the Giants this year. And- And I will say this too, I tweeted this earlier, and I think I've talked about this on the pod in the past. I think we need to get to a point where running back rookie contracts are shorter than other positions, even if it's just by a year. I know that's going to be a really hard sell because NFL owners have all the leverage by that not being the case right now, by it being equal to all other contracts. But you have a position where their career is basically over by 29, no matter how good they are. There's like one or two guys at any given time who is productive over that age consistently. 
if you are not even able to get to your second contract until at, at times where you're like 26 years old, 25 years old, and teams are like, okay, we don't even want to, we're looking four years down the line. You know, a four-year extension is, is pretty standard. We're looking four years down the line. We don't want to be paying you 15, 16 million at that age. You're going to be bad. Yeah. They need to be able to hit free agency a little bit sooner. That That's just kind of where I'm at with it. I think it's only fair given the position. I, I can see the owners and the players association not going for that either because you look at it, you, especially with how running back draft capital is basically tanking outside of, you know, mm-hmm. these really, you know, like guys like B. John Robinson is that, you know, teams, you know, honestly, the owners may say like, okay, cool, you know, we're going to draft you in the third round. You know, you get three years, and we're not paying you that much. Like, yeah. I, I could see getting them getting pushed back from the Players Association on something like that. That, you know, even if the owners may collude and just say, hey, let's let running backs fall even further and pay them less. Yeah, the entire position is just used and abused, and something needs to be done about it. And I know nobody's going to be wiping tears for Saquon if he signs the tag and makes $10 million a year. It's just about fair treatment compared to these other positions, because as of right now, they don't have it. They just kind of get run into the ground before their rookie deal is up, and then by the time it's up, they're like, all right, bye, go go enjoy making $2 million as a backup because we've cooked you over the course of your rookie contract. And we've seen it time and time again. So hopefully that gets uh, adjusted at some point, but I am I am not holding my breath, Pat, as you said. Um, from running backs to wide receiver, Pat, DeAndre Hopkins is still going to be in the news cycle. We've got some official visits, though, for Hopkins, finally. I believe as we're recording this, the Titans visit may be over and done with or, or about to be, uh, but the Titans were the first visit that Hopkins scheduled uh, with his free agency. Second visit, Pat, the New England Patriots. How about that? So I talked about them in a little bit of a, a biased way, a hopeful way that, you know, the Patriots interest in him. I was hoping that it was legit and I was hoping that Hopkins didn't have too, too much beef with Bill O'Brien and that it would leave the door open for him to potentially come to the Patriots, give Mac Jones a number one wide receiver. We know he's at least open to it because he wouldn't yeah, waste his time. Going on a, we, yeah, we know he wouldn't waste his time going on a visit if he was like, absolutely not. I hate that Bill O'Brien guy. Mac Jones sucks. I refuse. Uh, he's open to it. I think the fact that, you know, we talked about last week, the Texans rumors told me a lot about that maybe the quality of the team isn't the most important thing. It's just about certain aspects of the team that he cares about. And if you remember, Pat, the original requirements that he had, other than the podcast where he listed the, just the best quarterbacks in the league that he wanted to play with, he wanted a good defense, check. Stable management for the Patriots, check. And a quarterback who loves the game. And Mac is goofy, but he loves football. I mean, he wouldn't have thrown tantrums over Matt Patricia's incompetence last year if he didn't love football. So whether he's all that good at it, I don't know yet. We'll find out. We'd be able to find out a lot easier if we gave him a number one weapon for the first time in his career. So I'm hopeful that DeAndre Hopkins will uh, end up a New England Patriot. It would kind of continue an obnoxious string of luck that I've had as a sports fan as I sit here with UConn's championship, the Nuggets hopeful impending championship. And then if Hopkins comes to the Pats and makes us, you know, division contenders or I won't yeah, say favorites, but at least it. up there, just, just swimming in it, just having a great time. Pat, how do you feel about the latest Hopkins developments? Do you think he ends up a Titan or Patriot? Or do you think you, you just know, you first know, in a we, few visits? We didn't mention the Titans at all and no, I think the main didn't. and I think the main reason why is just that they kind of stink like yeah. um, with how competitive the AFC is going to be even with the three wild cards because they're probably not they're not going to win that division with, with Jacksonville looking as strong as they are and I mean you look at it alone you know three wild cards we're going to talk about the AFC West today you know they're probably going to get two teams you know who knows what Denver yep. the AFC East might get two wild card teams and and then the North is going to be competitive too it's like the Titans we're looking at the Titans team that could be in the bottom three in, in the conference and I mean, if Hopkins is more so looking at it from, hey, I'm going to take a one-year prove-it deal, Tennessee might be a good place because they've got targets available. You know, I really like Traylon Burks this year. 
and they do run the ball a lot, but that's a, that's a situation where he can go and be the top dog. It's similar to New England in the fact that, like, the offense may not fully cater to it, but, I mean, Tannehill worked with A.J. Brown, mm-hmm. and I'm a little more apprehensive about New England because, like, like I said, their last alpha guy was Randy Moss, and that was, what, like almost 15 years ago at this point now? So, like, yeah. so, so like I don't see – but, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't put it past Bill Belichick and Bill O'Brien to bring him in in that situation. I, I'm interested to see, like, where these other visits go. Like, does he visit Kansas City? We'll talk about Kansas City later. Does he visit Buffalo? Does he visit these teams? Mm-hmm. The, the Jets, people have talked about the Jets. It's like <laughs> – but is the Patriots and the Titans would definitely be more boring choices, but like it makes it does make sense. How dare you? How dare you? No, the Titans I found really interesting because that tells me that he's kind of open to everything. I mean, I guess the defense management and quarterback that loves the game thing all do apply to the Titans as well. So I, I mean, I guess we should have taken him at his word that he's not just looking for the very best teams, but maybe the teams that he believes can get there. Um, I'm sure he, as a player, appreciates a guy like Derrick Henry and knows how good he is and how much that would probably open up the pass game for him. I mean, I think defenses were probably loading the box with eight guys literally every snap last year, considering the Titans receivers were me, you, and Nick Westbrook-Akina. So I mean, he knows he'll have plenty of of targets there. He knows that the AFC South is, you know, somewhat open. I mean, the Jags are going to enter the season as the favorites, but otherwise the Titans kind of ran that division for three or four years. They can easily get back there um, if they they continue to try to make moves to try and win, even though, you know, we thought they were on their their way down. But, I mean, they've just kind of refused to die, it seems like. They're just trying to tread water. They're never a team that's going to be, like, really, really bad. But, like, in this AFC, winning seven or eight games is going to put you – Put you near the bottom, honestly. Yeah, exactly. So I look the teams that Hopkins has set visits with. I found incredibly interesting. I was figuring his first two visits would be the freaking Ravens and I like the Bills. I don't know. I mean, I know the Bills apparently are out because of the money aspect, but very, very surprising teams to see him visit off the bat. Uh, you just wonder if this free agency tour is going to continue for weeks on end, where he kind of just meets with a million teams or. You know, who knows? Maybe it's over by the end of this week and, and D-Hop will be a New England Patriot catching some balls from Mac Jones. I, a guy can hope. A guy can hope, Pat. I also had yeah, to change I know, our, I know. I had to, I had to change our little background here because I, I had our graphic up from last week. We are not doing an AFC North fantasy preview. We are doing the AFC West. It is updated now. AFC West. It's funny because the rest of the topics, I didn't notice because they were all basically the same. It's just Dalvin Cook, Hopkins. And then I was like, wait, there's no Saquon. I know I put Saquon on there. It's because we had last week's. Let's on do an AFC North preview for the third week in a row. Like, the third week in a row. The episode lost the time. The episode that got saved. And you know what? We'll just hone our skills and really make sure our opinions. Oh, yeah. Set in stone. On I, I have more to say. <laughs> so we have more to say about Allen Robinson on that Pittsburgh Steelers receiving oh court. He just—I have so many thoughts about Mister Spoon Fork Garbage Can. Whatever. Uh, speaking of that fantasy preview, Pat, we can move right into that. So last week, AFC North. One of the most fun divisions to talk about in terms of fantasy. Right behind it, though, is the AFC West. I mean, you've got so many teams here with a lot of fantasy talent. Uh, a division that I kind of thought all four teams would have had a playoff chance at last year before I realized that the Broncos were just a living, breathing dumpster fire and the Raiders were, the Raiders were just going to kind of Raider again. Uh, mm-hmm. But, Pat, the top, tippy top of this division, as always, is the Kansas City Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes, QB1 in fantasy overall, 0% surprising. Uh, I don't even have, do you have anything to say about this other than duh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Basically you talk, you talk about safety. He may not have the rushing upside of a guy like Lamar or Josh Allen or Jalen Hurts, but he can, he still, run, he can still run the ball. It may not be by design, but he finds a way to, you know, stock, to stockpile some rushing yards there. He, yeah, it's it, it's a, it's a no brainer. Like you said, you know, he may not end up as the QB one, but going into drafts, 
yeah. It's just crazy to me because you look at the weapons that the Chiefs have, and like again this year, they're going to be kind of underwhelming beyond Travis Kelsey, and yet you just feel so good about Patrick Mahomes. No concerns whatsoever because of just how damn you know, good he is. We're, we're looking at probably one of, if not the most talented quarterbacks ever. He may not go yeah. down as the best ever, but we're looking at probably the most talented quarterback ever in an Andy Reid system. You know, who just knows how to make it work. Yeah, it, it is it is a no-brainer. And, I mean, say, I guess same thing with Travis Kelsey. I don't think we really need to talk about him. But I guess yeah. the question with Kelsey is, how, how early do you feel good about taking him? Yeah, that is true. How did I not write down Travis Kelsey on our little sheet here, Pat? Am I? Am See, I, I figured it was a given. It was just too, figured, was just too obvious. Wasn't... It is a given, but I, I did want to put. I guess putting tight end one doesn't do any any justice. Yeah, matter. I am curious to see like where he's going overall. Though he is on on underdog. His ADP six point six. So wow, wow. So, I mean, know, it talking, makes sense. I'm we're not talking surprised. a guy that's going to be taken in the middle of the first round. Do you take Travis Kelsey in the middle of the first round if you're picking there? Can I? I can't bring myself to do it, and it's it's personal preference. It's not that I, I could make it work to an extent, and I mean having him in that spot, locking it down all year while everybody else is just struggling with their as much as we love them, their Chigakonkwos and their Greg Dulcich's and their whoever the hell. Um, it, you'd feel great about it, but. Pat, maybe it's just because I'm old school. I can't leave the first round without a running back or receiver. Ideally, a you running know, back. I can't do it. If I'm at six or seven, I don't know if I could do it. But if I'm at like ten through twelve, and I, yeah. you know, I guess we'll talk about it more once we're done with our um, our our division previews and more of general stuff here. But like, there's some of these receivers that are going at the end of the first round that like I'm not crazy nuts about. So like, yeah. if if running backs do fly off like they normally do in the beginning of drafts. I wouldn't put it past myself to take Kelsey in the first round, but six or seven, I don't know. I really don't know. But like you said, it's just so nice going into the week knowing that the worst position, you have the guy. You have the guy. Like, he may disappoint you one time in a, you know, in a 17-game schedule. Like, yeah, yeah, it's it's a no-brainer. Again, I think it'll, it'll be more so about how my specific drafts fall. In terms of you know what I would do with Travis Kelsey, I'm devastated because I've been in the keeper league and I've had Kelsey forever, and the mm-hmm. league disbanded. So like that's oh, the only no. Trav- that's the only Travis Kelsey I've I've ever had. So it's like uh, yeah, uh, I've I've never had him in our league, Pat, ever. And, and guys, whenever I reference our league, like that's the main fantasy league I play in. I've been playing in it for me too. Like, yeah, twelve. This years? is year thirteen. Um, yeah, yeah. Crazy. So so this is uh like that's the league that I'm trying the hardest in. And anytime I reference it, just know that it's like that's what's getting my all. Uh, yeah, I've never had Kelsey in our league. And Pat, you mentioned like some of the receivers at the back end of the first or even the early second, like where Travis Kelsey's going on underdog right now. So he's above Stefan Diggs and AJ Brown. I don't know if I can get on board with that, but the receivers that go after that. I think I could. I think I can. Could you really? Okay. I I mean, I don't blame you, but then it's it's definitely a debate. It's definitely a debate. The receivers after that, I'm comfortable taking him over. I mean, there's CD lamb, Devontae Adams, Garrett Wilson. Like at that point, I'll take Kelsey. And I mean, look, the rankings reflect that everybody feels that way and and more so because he is above Brown and Diggs in addition to those guys. But that's where I'm like, I I could deal with the how weird my roster is going to look after the first round with me having the being the only guy that has filled the tight end slot. And also, he's just such an anomaly that I feel uncomfortable taking him because Pat, he's going to be 34 after like the first five weeks of the season. Tight ends can 
can get up there in age. I yeah. mean, Gronk was unfortunately the outlier in the other direction just because of injuries, mm. but we've seen tight ends go. But, I mean, this guy never gets hurt. You know, he's in he's in great shape. And he is an anomaly in the sense, too, that he's not like some crazy physical specimen. No, like Obviously, no, he's, he's a tough tough for matchups, but that was Gronk's thing, was that Gronk, like, Gronk was on, you know, we couldn't guard him, but now... Like Kelsey's not quite like that, so he's he's just he's just fantastic, and you know for, we're looking at again same thing with Mahomes. We're looking at when it's all said and done, Kelsey is very well could be the best tight end, you know, if not top three at minimum, I would say. Oh, he's he. I think he's already top three for a guy that operates as as a tight end so much in the middle of the field. For him to like not get banged up or hurt all that often is. Why? Like, I don't, yeah. he's just such a smart player. And look, I know Cooper Cup, uh, I believe it torn ACL this past year, but he really is the tight end version of Cooper Cup, where other than, you know, that one instance of getting hurt, he's just such a smart player, finding the open parts of the field, not putting himself in harm's way. And I guess that comes with having a smart quarterback, too, that doesn't lead you into harm's way. But just like, if you wonder why Travis Kelsey gets open, he's just so smart at reading the defenses himself that he gets to those spots. And there's a reason that you, you know, you're watching games and for some reason there's nobody within 15 yards of Travis Kelsey and he's going to keep doing that until he until he hangs him up and and he's such a good guy like he's such a likable guy like he's probably one of my favorite players in the league too like it's it's just hard not to root for him with how good with especially with how good he is Absolutely. Uh, Pat, one part of the Chiefs offense and fantasy football that is not as straightforward is their backfield. So you've got Isaiah Pacheco in there at RB25, Jarek McKinnon at RB43, and just for posterity's sake, Clyde Edwards-Elair at RB63. I think most people have been frustrated off of Clyde Edwards-Elair. I think we're kind of all done with him. Um, You know, look, maybe he gets some touches. Maybe he becomes a guy. Who knows? But probably not. Pat, Pacheco and McKinnon is such an interesting case. And, And I did some research here on Pacheco and McKinnon. So if you remember after the bye week is basically when Pacheco kind of got installed as, you know, more of a factor in this Chiefs offense. So I actually went from week 10 on, and I'm looking at red zone touches here because this is kind of where they differ, I felt, or that's what I thought. It seemed to me like Jarek McKinnon was just always on the field in the red zone. And for a guy like yeah. Pacheco, who's kind of a non-factor in the receiving game and is going to continue to be that way because McKinnon's on this roster, you need to have the scoring potential with Pacheco. So from week 10 on, Isaiah Pacheco had 28 red zone touches and McKinnon had 23, but 12 of Pacheco's red zone touches came in one game, one game. That was week 12. So if you go, so yeah, it was crazy. I don't, and they were all rushes too. I don't know why they were in the red zone so much and why he ran the ball so much. I had to double check the stat like three times. Um, so McKinnon that also, also means had, he wasn't scoring then. If he wasn't getting right, any, he wasn't finding the end zone then. That's, that's true. Uh, McKinnon also had sort of an outlier of six red zone touches in week 13. Overall, when, when I looked at their red zone touches week by week, they were around two to four, normal number. Um, so if we take out both their outlier weeks, we just go week 14 and on, and this is through the Super Bowl. From week 14 on, Pacheco had 11 red zone touches and McKinnon had 12. So what I don't want to see and what I don't think I've seen so far is the narrative that Pacheco is going to be the red zone guy because he's the bigger and he's the bigger guy and he's the runner. That's not going to happen. That's not how the Chiefs operate. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I would I would go to the length to say he's not going to be the red yeah. zone guy, which no, is crazy. It, right. And it's very strange. And it just goes in line with the fact that the Chiefs, I believe, were the fourth pass heaviest team in the NFL last year. And that trend yep. continues when they re, when they get in close, and, when they're in, in, the, in the red zone. And they love those gadget plays in the end zone. You know, we've yeah. seen Mahomes shovel to anyone and everyone, you know. Even before CEH got hurt last year, he was. it seemed like he was catching a touchdown every game. And then McKinnon yeah. had that insane touchdown run. 
and he's throwing shovels to Kelsey. You're they're gonna yeah. you're gonna be seeing end around some Kadarius Tony, Sky Moore. It's like is the opportunity for Isaiah Pacheco there, especially when most leagues now are playing PPR. It's like you know, again, if you're taking you know, Pacheco, if you're in a like a kind of you punt running back, maybe, mm-hmm. but like Yeah, I'm not I'm not I'm 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 at least leery of it. Yeah, I don't want to overthink it too much, Pat, because I I do love Pacheco as a player, and I want to remember that when I'm considering whether to draft him or not, that yes, you have all these circumstantial things, but more than anything, can the guy ball? And he can. And as RB25, I don't mind that. To me, I'm more shocked at McKinnon being RB43, and I guess that's because he just wasn't signed for a while, and that's fair. I mean, it's a guy who was a free agent up until a few weeks ago, but Pat, McKinnon, at the end of the year... These are his PPR totals from week 13 through week 18. 14, 32, 34, 12, 22, 8. This guy was a tank at the end of last season in PPR leagues. Like, I don't know how he can be RB43 right now with numbers like that and coming back to play the same exact role. It's very strange to me. And And especially the difference between him and Pacheco in terms of where they're ranked, 25 to 43, McKinnon might be the better back in this backfield. Like, Pacheco's probably going to have a higher snap total, which is maybe what's driving this, but McKinnon may be getting the more quality touches. Oh, oh, oh absolutely. And you, you look at McKinnon, like, this was a guy, uh, granted, it was a while ago, but this was a guy who was productive in Minnesota. He was going to be the guy in San Francisco before the ACL injury, and then obviously it's taken him a while, but now he's carved out more of a role. But, like, again, if Pacheco goes down, like, even though he's a smaller back, like, this is a guy who could realistically still, you know, play on for, you know, on first downs and in short yarded situations. I, yeah, if I have to have a Chiefs running back, I would rather have McKinnon. But not to say that Pacheco's not going to have his own value, but just the situation for McKinnon is so good, especially at the value. Yeah, and, and look, I, I really love Pacheco's talent. I love that when I see him run, he, he just looks like a jackrabbit on crack. I mean, he runs so angry that it makes me like him, but I also have to take a step back and just look at the opportunities and realize... I don't know if it fits the ADP. I mean, I guess if he's going, he's 80.8 overall as RB25. If I'm getting him in, you know, the seventh round, I'm probably cool with that. But you look at the guys going behind him, Pat, the number of touches for the guys going right behind him, Rashad White, as of right now, has that backfield to himself. James Conner. your boy Chase Edmonds is there too. Yeah, shut up. (laughs) James Conner who he has the backfield very much to himself as well, albeit on a bad team, and he's also an uninspiring player. But still, the touches are going to be crazy. And then David Montgomery, who we expect to be, you know, the goal line guy and get a decent chunk of touches in in Detroit on a really good team. I I just, I don't know. I I go back and forth on Pacheco because I love the talent and I love watching him play. But I just, the Chiefs offense is so spreaded around that I don't see him becoming this, like, big deal that people would like him to I, be. I would I would definitely go Montgomery and um oh god Rashad White I would go those guys over Pacheco uh I don't know about James James Conner's got to just yeah. be one of the like the nastiest starting running backs yeah, which is nah, like I, someone's gonna take him and he's gonna give you some good weeks but it's just like I just no like uh, I, I, I feel just can't about, I can't bring myself to do it unless he falls you know significantly I feel about James Conner the way I felt about Leonard Fournette before last season where I was just like, I just want no part of you. And I don't really have a great reason why, because I understand there are arguments for you being relevant in fantasy football, but I'm just good. And honestly, Fournette put up more good weeks than I thought he would, but he was also, you could tell he was basically washed last year. And there was just 
nothing oh, yeah. you can really do about it. So Connor, I feel like, is heading more that direction. The fact he's been in the league a while. He's, again, Pat, I feel like he's probably not that old, but he's just got the mileage on him of being a running back. Uh, James Connor is, he is 28. Okay, so he oh, is actually yeah. getting getting up to the higher uh, level age for four running backs. Just turned but 28 But just, just a guy who's been hurt, you know, maybe Jonathan Gannon. I don't even know who they brought in as their offensive coordinator, but, like, you know, that's a team where, like, they're going to be so bad. They're yeah, going to be so nah. bad. And then the injuries. But, I mean, if the guy can stay healthy, he'll probably have a decent year. I don't know how we got into a James Conner conversation right I now. But I'm, I just, but I'm, yeah, not, just I'm not gross. touching James Conner. F's I'm, in I'm the chat set. for James Conner. <laughs> He's gone. Uh, again, Pat, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, RB63, just nowhere near my radar with McKinnon and Pacheco yeah. ahead of him now who are – Clearly he, better running backs. He's going to be nothing good. more than like a guy when like Pacheco needs a rest for a drive or for a couple carries. Yeah. Like he, he's nothing more than that. I'm sure he'll get some gadget plays again, but like I think Andy Reid's just kind of going to finally admit that they just whiffed. They just they, whiffed on this yeah. guy. And Andy Reid's kind of not the guy to force it. Like he's going to play guys who help you win, Deserve as it. seen by Pacheco being a seventh round pick and helping them win a Super Bowl. Yeah. If if it's not happening with Clyde, then it, it's just. It's just over for him in Kansas City as a as a fantasy relevant player. And they have already declined his fifth year option, so I think they've kind of already admitted defeat on the guy. Uh, don't expect to see him in a relevant fantasy way at all this year, Pat. The receivers here is kind of where the conversation gets interesting for the Chiefs because you have a quarterback that's so good like Patrick Mahomes, you have his number one weapon in Travis Kelsey, but what happens beyond that? This past year, nothing. Really? The best yeah. receiver, fantasy-wise, ended up being Juju Smith-Schuster, which was not a surprise. What was a surprise is that only translated to being wide receiver 27. Now, I did go back, and I wanted to compare this to the Patriots during the Gronk years, because I was curious how often, you know, with a dominant tight end, they had a receiver that also ended up being fantasy-relevant. And... Honestly, Pat, I was expecting to see a lot more years where they didn't have receivers high up in fantasy, but most years they had a receiver who at least performed as a wide receiver too. Uh, They had actually Wes Welker, I think, topped out as like wide receiver eight one year. Edelman had years where he was like wide receiver 15, wide receiver 12 in that range. So odds say, especially with the turnover, since they kind of hit a reset button with their receiving core this year, I'd say that a receiver will turn into at least a wide receiver too on this team at some point over the next few years. Well, it's, it's year tough to tell because the Chiefs have had Tyreek Hill for so long. So it's like, yeah. it's like of, of course, that someone's going to produce. But yeah, I mean, Juju, but again, you look at Juju stuff last year. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. A lot of his production came in like a, like yeah. a three or four oh, game as stretch. As a Juju owner? Yes, it, it did. And he was on my bench most of it. And, um, yeah, and... Um, <laughs> But you look at the guys they have now, and they're kind of similar. Like, they're kind of more gadget guys. They've got tons of speed. And to be honest, I like them both a lot, especially for where they're going. Um, excuse yeah. me. Um, yeah, Kadarius Tony's a guy that obviously they went out and got, you know. He was a guy that I really liked going into last year. It just turns out it was never going to work for him in New York, but I, I really like Kadarius Tony this year. You know, like we talked about, he's going to get some gadget plays probably at the goal line as well. Um, and then Sky Moore's value is fantastic. You know, he was a guy who consistently got more involved in that offense throughout the year and they didn't really go and get anyone to replace Juju. So that basically means like, I mean, they did draft Rasheed Rice, but I, I see that as a similar situation where he's probably going to yeah. be more eased into it. But yeah. you know what? Sky Moore, wide, wide receiver, 50 something wide receiver, 56, Mm-hmm. When Rasheed Rice is wide receiver 60, I think that's insane value for, yeah. for Sky Moore. Oh, yeah. A guy that's, you know, and what we talked about your bench guys, you're chasing upside on the bench. And I think Sky Moore is nothing but upside. Yeah, I think 
Kadarius Tony, you mentioned, I, I think he's going to be the most polarizing player in fantasy football drafts because he, I don't think there's a single player with a wider range of outcomes than Kadarius Tony, Pat. I like, would you be shocked if Kadarius Tony put up 1,500 yards and 12 touchdowns? It would be a higher end of his what you'd expect, but I wouldn't be shocked. In a Patrick Mahomes-led offense, if he's actually healthy all year, that would not shock me. It also would not shock me if he put up 300 total yards and was hurt half the year. I have no yeah. idea what to expect from this guy. He's been so hyped up basically off of two games he had with the Giants that I feel like people don't even realize the numbers he's actually put up in total. That year with the Giants, his rookie year, he only had 420 total receiving yards in 10 games. And then with the Chiefs last year, 171 yards, although he did score twice. He's a guy who's such an electric, electric talent. And I'm trying to figure out what where I'm going to land on the fence of Kadarius Toney because I, I don't know. Where I am right now is that he's well worth the draft capital of wide receiver 38. Oh, absolutely. Well, well worth it. And if I'm going to take a stab at any of these Chiefs receivers, it's him because he's shown by far the most talent, the most explosiveness out of all these guys. I think Sky Moore probably takes that sort of, he's going to see the field more than he did last year. He's probably going to be almost a one-for-one replacement of Miko Hardman, where it's like he's going to have games where he pops off because he does the big plays and he's a speed guy. But Tony, you know, the Chiefs themselves are talking him up. I, I think I'm buying the hype a little bit. I think I am. And I will take him at wide receiver 38 every time, but I expect that to rise as we get closer and closer to draft season. Excuse me for one second, Brandon. Technical difficulties. Uh-huh. Ah, yes. Take your time, Pat. Um, so, I mean, this Chiefs offense is just very, very interesting. Um, Marquez Valdez-Scaling, not a guy that I'm interested in in the least, but Kadarius Tony, a guy who can pop off. Uh, Pat, did I, did I fill enough for you? Yeah, my, 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 my ring my ring light was fucking killing my eyes, man. I, I can't oh, take yeah, it. So yeah. I had to... No, tick, you know, as, as, a, as a fellow TikTok star, you know, my, uh, my right. ring just killing me. So I went, I went with light. We're getting a little shine of light on me. Like, I feel like the Messiah now. So let's, let's, let's go with that for the sake of my vision. Yeah, for, for those of you that haven't seen Pat on TikTok, he actually does belly dances where he pours hot chocolate all over himself. Uh, it's very high quality. You know what? Stuff. Honestly, I, that doesn't sound like a bad way to get involved. <laughs> I, I think you'd be TikTok partnered immediately. As I don't even think that's a thing, but you'd be TikTok verified right off the bat, the hot chocolate belly guy. All right, the Kansas City Chiefs obviously have, it's just kind of a hotbed for fantasy production, but you don't know where it's going to come from exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how this team plays out. As of right now, we know that Mahomes and Kelsey are the slam dunks, and then the rest of it, I, good luck figuring it out because we're we're all trying here. I, I think oh, we yeah. like guys we like guys a little, and that's kind of just where we're at with all of them. Uh, but they all have plenty of upside because Chiefs. Pat, the Los Angeles Chargers. Justin Herbert is QB seven. I think that's a good spot for him. He's a guy that I'm very optimistic for with Kellen Moore now as the offensive coordinator. Joe Lombardi is out of there. A lot of people think he was kind of holding him back. And oh, Herbert he was. and Moore. Herbert and Moore are, you know, close. They they've known each other for a little while here. Um, and I think that relationship could be beneficial. I mean, Pat, the fact that the Cowboys got rid of Kellen Moore because he wanted to score too many points basically is what happened. Uh tells me that, you know, him going with Justin Herbert and uh, trying to help his fantasy production probably will go fairly well. Um, Pat, are you are you in agreement that Herbert's just kind of in a he's in the right tier, right? We talked about him yeah. being with Trevor behind all the running quarterbacks. This is where he belongs. Yeah, I would definitely peg him as the fucking goddamn. You're gonna pe- saying that. How many guys are you gonna peg, Pat? God I'm gonna damn. tab him. I'm going to slot him in as the second best non-running quarterback behind Joe Burrow. If we're calling Mahomes a running quarterback as well, okay. But out of the guys who are 
pocket passers. I, I would rank him b- behind Burrow. I think that he's going to flourish with Kellen Moore. I, I saw something about his like short yardage attempts under Joe Lombardi, and it just like made me want to puke. Like mm-hmm. it, it, he was just clearly holding this guy back, and I think it's going to benefit the. I think it's going to benefit the whole offense. I agree, Pat. And, but here's something I ran into when I was researching for all this is I've been on the Justin Herbert is going to have a career year train ever since they signed Kellen Moore, and I'm just very excited for them. And yet, I can't get excited about their receivers. And logically, that doesn't make sense because if he's going to have a career year, his receivers are going to be good. So I, I don't know what to make of Keenan Allen and Mike Williams because I want no part of them. But should I? I, I, See, I don't I, know what to do here. I am in on Keenan Allen a bit just because, like, okay. I think he has a distinct role. Like, he's the slot guy. Like, he's the guy that's going to get the targets. I think Quentin Johnston really hurts Mike Williams' value. You know, we yeah. were talking about it in the pre-draft. How, like, you, you, you mocked um, him to the Chargers, and I just didn't like it because I figured I felt they were too similar. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, as a guy who, as a Mike Williams owner last year, one, the guy's really fucking good. Like, yeah. you know, the, you know, he with how big he is and but how big of a deep threat he is, that that combo is so good. But he's obviously had problems staying on the field. And, you know, it's high variance on these guys that are deep balls. I would rather go with a guy like Keenan Allen, who, you know, the ceiling's probably not quite there, but he's got a much higher floor. And I think Johnston probably steals some of those deep balls, probably steals some of those jump balls in the end zone that would go to Williams. So, you know, Allen at wide receiver 20, like, yeah, I think that's fair. I think he's like a mid to low end wide receiver too, but Williams, I I, I hate it because, like I said, I really like the guy. I really liked having him last year, but I, I I'm just I'm just worried with Quentin Johnston. I I think there's so many just question marks around both the receivers because Keenan Allen. I mean, he's 31. He's had so many injuries. He seems to have lost somewhat of a step, but again, it doesn't matter as much for a guy that plays the type of receiver that he plays. Exactly. Um, in PPR, if he can stay healthy. Sure, um, that is a, a tenuous bet at best at this point. Let me see who he's ranked around and see how I feel about them. So, yeah, see, here's where I'm at. I think the guys that kind of are, are directly behind Keenan Allen in ADP right now or right with him, I kind of prefer them just because of the injury history that Keenan's dealt with. You got Christian Watson, Jerry mm-hmm. Judy, and then Mike Williams. So take him out of the conversation. Sure. Uh, Drake London, not a huge fan because I don't trust the Falcons passing game just yet. <laughs> uh, Terry McLaurin and DJ Moore. Might rather them over Keenan Allen. I mean, full point yeah. PPR, I get the argument, but those guys, I kind of would be more, I'd be more excited to draft them. Where I ended up settling on, Pat, is I'm going to stand by that I think Herbert has a resurgence and has one of the best years of his career. But to me, that is going to make me take more stabs at A, Quentin Johnston, because I think he's going to have a solid role, especially if one of those guys goes down and he's just a cheap way to get in on that offense. Maybe he becomes Herbert's favorite weapon. That's his ceiling. Yeah. So who knows? Um, and then, also makes me want to take more stock in a less sexy, but really, really interesting, Gerald Everett. That's a I guy, love Gerald just, Everett. You assume that this offense is going to say it's twice as good or one and a half times as good. Gerald Everett, if he stays healthy, will hold down your tight end spot because I think Herbert's going to be good enough to support it. And we've seen it now with Everett. He was good last year. He was He was really good at the end of 2021 when he was with Seattle, and obviously mm-hmm. he had some good moments in – Los Angeles, St. Louis. I don't. I don't remember the timeline with the Rams. But <laughs> yeah. but you you touched on Quentin Johnston too. Just just for a second, you know, if injuries don't exist, like if all these guys, you know, I'm not crazy about him. Like I'd rather have Jackson Smith the Jigba. I'd rather have uh, Jordan Addison. I'd rather have Zay Flowers. But again, we're looking at two other guys who have a severe, significant injury history. 
Mm-hmm. So like you said, what Mike Williams sprains his ankle or Keenan Allen cracks a rib or whatever the hell always happens to him. <laughs> like, yeah, we're looking at Quentin Johnston as the number two target on a team with a quarterback who, you know, we both believe is gonna break out. So like yeah, that yeah, and again when you're when you're drafting that low, like that's a really fair dart to take. But but yeah, we'll we'll talk about some other tight ends here, but Everett is Going outside of the tight end one, he's probably one of my favorite guys that's not currently being drafted as a tight end one, just because yeah. of the targets. Just because of he's he's a really you know he's a quick guy. He wears number seven, so it's deceiving. Like you see, yeah, you'll see like uh, the ball going to number seven. You're like, who the hell's that? And you're like, oh, it's Gerald Everett. But yeah, he especially in PPR leagues, he's a really sturdy guy who's going to get you around ten points every week. And at some points, that's all you can ask for. Yeah, Chargers offense is on the way up, and Gerald Everett probably the most low key beneficiary of of those uh, that Im- that improvement. So I would go after him in a lot of leagues if you're waiting on tight end. I think he's around what is it tight end? Oh, he's tight end eighteen. Wow, that's so nuts. He's a, that's he nuts. is a super value right now. That's nuts. I would have I would have expected him to be near like twelve or thirteen at yeah. worst. But and we've also seen how well Kellen Moore has worked with Dalton Schultz and made him a, a factor in in Dallas. So look, definitely excited for Everett. A uh, lot of decent dart throws to take here in that Chargers offense that I think will be solid this year. Pat, your Las Vegas Raiders. I'll give you the floor, Pat. How do you feel about the, there's the Devontae Adams jersey? So Jimmy G is the quarterback. I'm guessing we're not we're not touching Jimmy G in fantasy, right? Please, Hell please no. tell me. Okay, we're Hell not touching no. Jimmy G in he, fantasy. He had a couple of good, you know, he, he was a guy that like you might slot him in during bye weeks, but that was yeah. that was a a whole product of San Francisco. Like Jimmy I, G with no Shanahan is no thank nope. you. So we can nope. just leave him in the past. Uh, and, the and unfortunately, here. and unfortunately, um, that's my sentiment for basically this whole offense except one guy. I am significantly fading, and the only guy yeah. I'm not fading is Josh Jacobs. Um, yeah. Um, like I talked about earlier, how there are a lot of guys that I um don't like at the end of the first round for wide receivers. And at the end of the first round, I fucking hate Devontae Adams. I really? would not okay. touch him in that range. I would be more than happy to let someone else touch him. Uh, here we go again with the touching. Um, <laughs> at least it's um, not you this time. Yeah. Um, here, here's the thing is that say what you will about Derek Carr and how good of a quarterback he is, but Derek Carr loves to throw the deep ball. Mm-hmm. And Devontae Adams is great with catching the deep ball. And Jimmy G... I think you probably physically cannot throw the ball more than 15, 20 yards down the field. And so that just kills Adam's ceiling for a guy going, all those other guys in that range, like you look at guys behind him, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, I would much rather have guys like that because they have, I I think Garoppolo caps his ceiling so much. The floor is still there. The floor is absolutely there because he's going to, he's going to get a lot of these Jimmy G, you know, kind of short yardage situations, but just like going that high, I, especially with some of the other guys maybe going behind him, a lot of running backs or like Travis Kelsey, I cannot take Devontae Adams that early. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, also, real quick, we did skip over the Chargers backfield, but I think that's just because we know Austin Eckler oh, is yeah. where he belongs. He's As good. RB2, He's RB2 good overall, him. PPR, he is good. Draft him. He is what he, we think he is. They didn't add anybody in that backfield. Josh Kelly stinks. Isaiah Spiller might be good eventually. I don't know, but it's it's Austin Eckler. Draft him. He will be a beneficiary of that offense too. Pat, I, I'm right there with you. I, I didn't want to chastise you too bad because I know this is your team, but yeah, I'm... Well. I'm so out on the Raiders, man. I think this might be one of the worst teams in football this year, even though talent-wise they are a little above the other teams we expect to be in the bottom of the barrel. But Devontae Adams himself having reservations about where this offense is going, him saying so, like, 
the best case scenario for Devontae Adams in fantasy is him getting traded, which has been, you know, rumored <laughs> a little bit. There's a little bit of smoke, but the contract makes it difficult. Um, the rumblings have been there, though, and, and that's the best case for him. And you can't draft a guy knowing that that's his best case scenario, at yeah, least I'll, not with that high of a pick. I'll tell you, if he gets traded, that fucking sucks because, like, I have three. Ra- I bought three Raiders jerseys within the last, like, t- year. Yeah, uh, last year and a half. The others were Derek Waller. Carr and Darren Waller. So like, uh, like, yeah. okay. like come on, like I've, I've probably thrown like over four hundred dollars into those jerseys, and now they're all <laughs> just going to be obsolete. So like, so like, fuck that. But I mean, um, but yeah, um, I do really like Josh Jacobs. Um, assuming again, he's all you know, he's in a similar situation to Saquon. Hasn't been a lot of rumblings about him holding out. He obviously wasn't at. You know, he wasn't at um non mandatory workouts. We'll see what happens mm-hmm. when uh, training camp starts. But this was a guy last year who was just unbelievable, and everyone wrote him off on their Josh McDaniels. People were talking about guys like Zamir White and Zamir White, the corpse season, of Brandon baby. Bolden, and like people just thought that like people just thought that Josh McDaniels, that Josh Jacobs was not one of his guys, and he was not going to lean on him. But holy shit, did he lean on him! And yeah. the other thing about Jacobs that I find interesting in 2021, like he was a sneaky good receiving back. Under John Gruden, like they 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 peppered him with the ball, and everyone was saying like last year, like oh you know he's there's no way he maintains that receiving work. So in 2021, he caught 54 passes on 64 targets for 348 yards. That was with John Gruden and Uncle Rich. Um, in 2022, he caught 53 balls on 64 targets for 400 yards. So like he still held up. Like you don't think of him as a as a strong PPR running back, but he just is. He doesn't get the touchdowns, yeah. but who cares? No, like, it and matter. with Jimmy G, that's that's gonna benefit him the most. Um, so I I really like Josh. And what is he RB nine or something? Like this was the RB nine, RB, yes. RB two. This was the RB two last year. I love Josh Jacobs at RB nine. If I'm sitting there staring at Josh Jacobs and Devontae Adams, and I gotta pick one of them, I'm picking Josh Jacobs in a heartbeat. Absolutely. I think Jacobs is an interesting case with the guys that are ranked behind him. Uh, I think I would prefer him at this point over Ramondre Stevenson. Uh, I don't know that I would prefer him over Brees Hall, assuming that the Jets' backfield stays the way it is, just because I think the Jets' offense will be more efficient, provide more scoring opportunities for Jacobs. But if if we're talking strictly, you know, dominating the backfield and it doesn't matter that much how good the offense is and a guy who's still in his prime yeah, Jacobs is absolutely a, a solid target um Pat the receivers on this team beyond Devontae Adams I think we're also in agreement just no thanks because of Jimmy G Jacoby Myers is that wide receiver 54 Hunter Renfro who you want to talk about trade rumors wide receiver 79 um well just, see that's I'm just thing. good when when they got Jacoby Myers I remember like texting my dad right after my dad's also a Raiders fan I texted him saying oh Renfro's gone and then mm. the next day they traded Darren Waller, and it was just like, yeah. never mind. They're going to bulk up Renfro and put him at tight end. Be- because you, you've seen, oh, Jesus Christ, they, they've got to be feeding that guy for, for days. <laughs> um, but the, the big thing is that Jacoby, you know, as a Patriots fan, you know this, Jacoby Myers flourishes in the slot. Mm-hmm. And, and Hunter Renfro is exclusively a slot receiver, basically. Yeah. So uh, Josh McDaniels must like him on the outside. Uh, Myers on the outside, I, I just don't know. I'm sure, you know, they'll be more, those are more like, real life football guys that are going to help yeah. that team rather than fantasy like I, I don't know unless they get rid of unless they get rid of Renfro if Renfro they get rid of Renfro then I think Jacoby Meyer stock goes up a, a decent amount to the point where he's probably on the radar but as it yeah. is they're just they're just too similar for me right now and again an offense is not going to be terrific I just don't think there's enough love to go around 
Yeah, it's hard to get excited about anything in this offense that's not Jacobs and Devontae Adams. And then again, even like you said, Adams is a little bit too rich for our blood right now with his ADP. Uh, Pat, Michael Mayer, though, interesting. I mean, how are you feeling about Michael Mayer now? We've had some weeks to digest it since he's been drafted. Uh, any any fantasy interest here? No. Uh, no, no, not really. Like we're talking rookies. I prefer Dalton Kincaid. I prefer Sam yeah. Laporta. Um, you know, I, I just don't think that – I think it's just more so an offense. Like they didn't use – you know, they, they didn't use tight ends a ton, obviously. Like, Waller's numbers declined over the last few years. Foster Moreau had his uh, had his moments. But I just don't see tight end being the focal point of this offense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, again, in, in a position where tight end is just n- not good, I just still really don't see him. Uh, I still really don't see him being too much of a factor. Rookie tight ends in general are such a bad bet. I mean, we we try to get excited about them every year because we see rookie tight ends go to a team where it's like, okay, they're going to be the clear starter, or at least they have way more upside than the incumbent starter, and they'll take it. And over and over and over again, it's proven that it takes more than a year for a rookie tight end to end up emerging. And if any rookie tight ends are going to emerge this year, it's going to be Kincaid. It's going to be Laporta. It's not going to be Michael Mayer. I mean, it's just the, the offense does not allow for it i i don't see him in, in as much as we've clowned on austin hooper like again he's been a somewhat reliable guy as a pulse. you know in, in atlanta cleveland tennessee he's always been so, you know somewhat of a guy that you know they brought him in knowing like worst case scenario austin hooper's our guy so like ah uh, yeah mayor i'm just i'm, I'm just, just not meh. not in on it just meh all right pat broncos country Let's ride. Let's ride. How do we feel about these Denver Broncos this year? Obviously, they're bringing in Sean Payton. They've kind of cleaned house in terms of the coaching staff. Um, Russell Wilson at QB 18. I don't look. Russell Wilson's a guy who I'm optimistic can put it together again, like you said, in a real football capacity. Not a guy who I think is going to be on fantasy radars, even if he does get back a little bit to form. Um, it'll just be a you know maybe he becomes a bye week villain at that point. But it's just not a guy. There's too many other yeah. solid quarterbacks out there for me to be like, hey, yeah, let me go again. Wilson would be a guy you draft with another quarterback. Yeah, there's course. just too many other more exciting guys for me to spend one of my two quarterback spots on him. Yeah, um, it, 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 yeah, it hurts him because he doesn't not have much value with his legs anymore. Yeah, um, but you know, I, I think he's a guy at QB eighteen. I think I think that's pretty good value. Like if you're taking a quarterback, you know, if you're kind of just throwing darts on quarterbacks and taking two or God forbid three guys in your draft. I mean, I think Russ is a guy who has a pretty good, you know, a pretty good ceiling, but it all depends on what you think is going to happen with Sean Payton. You know, some people think that he's going to turn Russell Wilson back into Russell Wilson or Drew Brees for God's sake. Mm-hmm. And some people just think they're still going to stink. I, I tend to, I tend to fall in the middle there. I think they'll certainly be better, but my, my expectations are still a bit tampered, but yeah, Russ is not a guy that I would be drafting realistically to start more so kind of just a guy to stash on the bench and um, like cross your fingers. But I'm also a guy that does not draft two quarterbacks in yeah. a, you know, in a, in a one QB league. So no. And if you are the, probably the latter drafted one is going to be an upside type of play, like a Bryce young or something to that effect. It's not going to be a guy who you're just desperately hoping gets back to any shred of what he once was. So I'm I'm pretty much out on Russell Wilson. Uh, speaking of out, Pat, I may be more out on Javante Williams. Yeah. Look, RB29 is not a bad spot for him. I understand it. Um, this is a guy who was looked at as a possible RB1 last year. He was my RB1 last year. I took him in the second round. Yikes. Uh, hoping for the best. <laughs> yeah, ended up, you know, tearing up his knee. Um, now at RB29, I mean, the guys he's above, there's a couple that I'm like, no, I would definitely take them ahead of you. But like, 
it's tough. I like the talent. I like the involvement he'll probably have when he's back. I just do not think that so close to the injury he's going to have the efficiency necessary. It's going to be like J.K. Dobbins from last yeah, year. Yeah, and especially like we talked about, about too. It. Like, he had a nasty tear. Like, he tore everything yeah. in that knee yeah, as yeah. opposed to Bryce Hall, who kind of just had a clean ACL tear. So, yeah, I, I'm under the belief that, he one, he's not going to be ready to start the year. And, two, like, I, I'm not putting that kind of onus on the fact that he's going to come back and look like he's looked in the past couple of years. Yeah. I am – unless the, again, unless there's a really – a long fall and I guess again like if he if it's kind of reported like hey he is going to miss the start of the year he will fall considerably and mm-hmm. if he's at a point where he's on your bench you have an IR spot sure of course you know if you why, have an IR not? spot absolutely we're so used to not having one that it's like we don't uh, even think about could, these guys was that was that one of our rules ch- no it wasn't god damn it uh, we still got time we can bully him yeah. into it maybe yeah. our commissioner <laughs> Andy <laughs> but, if you're listening um Andy. but yeah um just doxed him um <laughs> but you know one of the hottest guys you know watching all this fantasy stuff reading all this stuff one of the hottest guys this offseason has been Samaj P. Ryan and honestly I'm a believer Um, Mm -hmm. you know this was a guy who in Cincinnati looked really good in his opportunities uh, especially last year like he he helped me win a league last year where he had those two weeks starting for Mixon he was great and even when Mixon was out there this was a guy who uh, was a great pass catcher and we've seen even with or without Williams Sean Payton loves two running backs you know whether it be you know Mark Ingram in recent years or like Tim Hightower, for fuck's sake. That was a long time ago. But, you know, with Alvin Kamara and stuff like and it's made it work like that year where Kamara and Ingram were both RB1s. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that's going to happen, but I think even with Williams, I think Samaj Piran is a very viable guy with, you know, his, you know, with Peyton's two running back usage, his pass catching. I, I'm in. I'm in on him, just like everyone else. Peyton is good enough at creating this two running back system that I am willing to invest in the guy that's healthy. I'll put it that way. Um, yeah. So Samaj P. Ryan, I, I am also in on. I just think Javante Williams, you, there's so many factors working against him. And regardless of the ADP that you may think there's some value to be returned there, uh, you've got the injury recovery. The Now he has a guy who likes a two back system and an offense that as much as I do believe Peyton will revive it to an extent, an offense that might be ass, it might be. <laughs> so then you've got an injured running back in a timeshare on a bad team. I, I just don't want any part of it. I'd rather take stabs at, you know, let's look at the guys ranked either behind Javante or well behind him. Uh, Zach Charbonnet, rather have him. Brian Robinson, rather have him. Rashad Penny, Devon A-Chain, like all these guys, Jarek McKinnon we talked about, Kendry Miller even, because you've got both him and Kamara behind him. Somebody's going to be the running back in New Orleans. Yeah. Uh, I just, I don't think it's worth the headache. Like he's not going to be a guy that the upside warrants it like yes you can draft him at rb29 and maybe from week 10 through 17 he becomes rb 18 or 19 over that stretch but the the ceiling is not much higher than that i don't think yeah no Uh, so you can wait on it but good luck with that uh pat the receivers here guys who are also going to be looking to recover from just the dumpster fire that was russell wilson (laughs) last year jerry judy ended up being okay i mean the only guy to put up a semi-respectable stat line last year i believe it was like 964 yards and six touchdowns which when you watch that team you would be shocked to know that he was able to rack up that that many counting um, statistics and and if you remember last week i teased um that my favorite uh receiver going into is it jerry judy it it is jerry judy um okay you know with the way that he clicked, even, you know, like with Russ uh, being as bad as he was, Judy had a couple of huge games at the end of the year once he was healthy. And mm-hmm. again, like, I, while I don't think this is going to be New Orleans 2.0, I think they are going to improve a, you know, a, a noticeable amount. 
And mm. I, I think Jerry Judy is just probably better than Cortland Sutton at, at this point. You know, Judy was a guy who was, um, you know, really highly, highly rated coming out of the draft. You know, somehow got drafted after um, uh, inmate, inmate Ruggs and, uh, and, uh, and C.D. Lamb. But, uh-huh. you know, Judy's a guy who's still got really high upside, and I think he's going to be Russ's favorite target this year. I think there's a strong possibility of that. Uh, Cortland Sutton, a guy who we both had high expectations for last year, but you look and they were both he and Judy were around 100 targets. Uh, Judy made way more of those mostly bad targets last year, yeah. uh, made them into somewhat respectable numbers. So yeah, Sutton, a guy I wouldn't be shocked to see traded, honestly, before the season or, or even during the season. Yeah, I expect Judy to be the kind of the focal point of this offense. You got Marvin Mims, Pat. He's just kind of a dart throw guy. No one I'm really yeah. thinking of too much about. I don't really have to talk about him. Uh, Greg Dulcich, I think, is interesting. At tight end 14, uh, Sean Payton said you're going to use him in the Joker role, which no doesn't mean he's going to be in the backfield or anything like that. But it's just he's going to try and you know move him around uh, the formation and try to create some mismatches. I mean, Sean Payton's been very good with tight ends. Obviously, spearheaded the the Jimmy Graham uh, you know peak. So I, yeah. I like Greg Dulcich, and I think there's a chance that he is the number two target in this offense. So as tight end 14, I don't mind that investment if you want to take him. You know, yeah. compared to a guy like Kincaid or, or something to that. Effect. I, I like I like Greg Dulcich a lot as well. S- similar to Everett, you look at you look at Dulcich's numbers last year. You know, he was a guy that was getting four to six catches a game, and you know, again, tight end PPR. That's that's a solid floor there. And he's got the upside. Like, this is one of those guys now, this new wave of tight ends, where some of these guys are just basically big receivers. Mm -hmm. You know, these are guys that aren't going to really help you in blocking situations, which is tough because, you know, they may not be on the field as much. But if you're looking just from a fantasy perspective, you know, a guy guy like Dulcich, like you said, could end up being the number two target in an offense that we think could be passable. So, yeah, yeah, and again, as a guy that's going outside of – outside of um tight end one like if you're Mm. sitting there and thinking about drafting dalton kincaid i would urge you to draft greg dulcich instead yeah i think that's fair that little tier of tight ends you know 11 through 14 is dalton kincaid chigaconqua dalton schultz and greg dulcich one of those guys is going to finish top five that's my that's my call. I don't know who, but I yeah, like feel I said, like one I'm of those guys is going to be top five. But I, I yeah. but I really like the other three, and we know how much I like a yeah. too. Absolutely, and Dulcich. Uh, look, one of the avenues statistically and historically to being a top five tight end in fantasy is you have to be a top two target on your own team. Uh, that's very much put up possibility for Greg Dulcich as much as we like Gerald Everett. Pat, if everybody's healthy, that's not a possibility for him. So if you're really looking yeah. at you know that side of things uh greg dulcich could very well be your guy uh that'll do it for our fantasy preview here pat i want to jump into this little draft here i don't want to put it off again but i think i think we've just been talking more about fantasy stuff lately which is good good. which is great I was, tell, I, was t- I was telling Brand during the week that like we t- we do our draft every year Labor Day weekend, and I've made a rule for myself in the past where like August first, like I'm not allowed to like actually look at rankings, read stuff, watch videos until August first. But God mm-hmm. damn it, it was like June third, and I'm sitting there yeah. watching you know watching YouTube videos and getting pissed because now that's just poisoned. gonna monopolize my head all summer. But it's great because it's gonna be a lot of fun to talk about it. So you know what, it is what it is. I'll, I'll take it. You'll be prepared. Maybe you'll actually win a championship for once. Yeah, this fuck is what, no. This is what winners do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, all right. This draft, Pat, the best sporting events in history. I just wanted to kind of talk about this with the NBA Finals, you know, coming to a head, um, you know, to see who can put together the best list of sporting events that are just iconic in America, worldwide, whatever it is. Pat, I'll be honest. I have no idea who has the first pick for this. Is it you? Is it me? I, we didn't. We I think done a draft it's me. I think you weeks. had the first in the Steven. Okay. 
I think you I think had the right. first pick in the in the in the Stephen A. draft that may or may not have actually existed. You guys will never know. Real ones <laughs> will know. Never know. Where's the real where's, ones where's, will know. The four people that stuck here and just listened to that garbage disposal for an hour. Uh, oh but God! Yes, yeah. You have the first pick, and you can masochist. Uh, yeah. You can make it whatever. I you mean, wish. I now, think this is you know a lot of these drafts. It's been like a debate, but I think there is a correct answer here, and mm-hmm. I think it's the Super Bowl. Okay, Super Bowl. Um, I think you will actually get a lot of people angry with you for saying that that's just the obvious correct pick. Uh, I think there are a lot of World Cup you think truthers so? out there, Pat. I think there's a lot of World Cup truthers. Oh, out sure. There for most, for like most sure, iconic, but that's yeah. not what I would want to pick, and it's not quite frankly what I'm going to pick here uh, with my second pick. But I think yeah. in terms of iconic, uh, that one is probably. You know, you'll you'll get some you'd get some angry people in your mentions if you. Uh, yeah, I'm 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 not I'm not a worldwide man. Like that was pre, you know like it's yeah. basically a holiday, and you know yeah. everybody watches the Super Bowl. And people that don't give a shit about football go to yeah. a Super Bowl party. It's just it's just a time for people to get together and have a good time. Like it's just there's a whole week of build up. Like it's it's just in terms of American sports. Yeah, like sorry soccer fans, but like <laughs> it, it is the pinnacle. To the, ter- to the point where we want it to be an actual holiday in America, where we've been there begging been, for there that. There have been talks. We've been begging for that following Monday off for so long, and we just have not got it. But maybe eventually, because that is honestly the biggest thing in this country. Uh, Pat, a solid pick. Again, I am not going to go to the World Cup here. I'm going to go to what I think is just maybe the most fun one to watch in a little longer term. I'm going to take March Madness with my first pick of best yeah. sporting events. I mean, the first two weekends, I mean, I guess really the first four days for the first two rounds of it, are just game after game after game. They are it's, so much fun. At March Madness, there's really nothing else like it. I just remember like a handful of years ago when I was in college, like I'd have a Thursday class that ended at noon and I didn't have class Friday and I would just drive home like a fucking dart without feathers <laughs> to just sit there for the next four days and just watch nothing but college basketball. I, I, I mean, like it is... My mom would get me out of school early, like if I asked for it. She did that a couple times. She'd let me go home and watch the games that started at you know noon on a Thursday. Uh, just some incredible memories with March Madness. Filling out yeah. a bracket. There's nothing more fun. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember on, one year I was like, one year I was like sick as a dog. I was probably like 14 years old, and everyone's like, "Oh, you just stayed home to watch basketball." It's like shit. I fucking wish I did, but you're I got like, to. Like, you're like, it's a nice coincidence at the very least. All right, yeah, first so two yeah. picks, Super Bowl, March Madness, probably the most iconic American sporting events yeah. in terms of just the hype leading up to it. Uh, Pat, what are you going with for your second pick? I, I, I am going to go with the World Cup here for my um, okay. for my second pick. You may have you know, won the draft similar, because similar, of this. <laughs> you know, sim, similar, to the, similar to the NFL, uh, similar to the Super Bowl, like people that don't even like soccer, like I'm, I don't love soccer, you know, like uh, it's just never been my thing to get super into. But, you know, I get invested in these things, you know, and whether it's not Team USA, especially this past World Cup, you know, with some of the store, some of these storylines, some of these underdogs, some of the overdogs going down, like in, in just to see the passion, you know, like um, my, my father has some friends in Brazil and like they would like the country would basically just shut down when they played mm-hmm. like for two hours. It just shut down and everyone would just go and watch the Brazil game. Like it's it's amazing how it's probably in America, just the fact that it's not as huge of a huge of a sport. But, um, you know, in some of these countries, it's, it's just a way of life and it's it's so much fun. Yeah, I, I agree. That's where I would have gone with my next pick, and I feel like you having kind of the most popular American event and most popular international event could be a tough hole for me to climb out of, but I'm going to try and do that with what is also sort of an international event. I'm just going to take the Olympics. Um, yeah. You know, so many sports being showcased. Uh, just as 
if it weren't for the fact that it just destroys the economy every single time it happens of the place <laughs> that it happens in, it would be one of the most beloved events. And it still kind of is even despite that. So just all the different types of athletes from all over the world that can show yeah. their skills. Uh, I got to go with the Olympics. Again, never been, I've never been a huge Olympics guy. Like I just never really. Me neither. I just like, know I like how like basketball. Is. Yeah. Like honestly, it's helped the fact that like baseball and then golf have sort of gotten incorporated, kind of maybe mm-hmm. a little more interesting. But it's never been something that I've really kind of just like sat down and got into for a summer or a winter. But yeah. again, you're you're covering a lot of ground there. So, all right, let's let's go back to America. I've got the World Cup. I might as well add the World Series in there. Okay. World Series. We are taking baseball, a sport that is you know. Relatively international. I mean, definitely people overseas yeah. care about it way more than they yeah. care about the Lot. Super Bowl. So World Series, yeah. totally fair. Uh, the only beef with that being that people say it's not a World Series because it's just happening in America yeah, and slash Canada. But, oh, well, deal that's with it. There's fair, players, you know, like, again, players from so, all over the world. So it again, yeah. But, the, again, the atmosphere is, you know, second to none in a lot of these games. You know, like every pitch matters for anywhere between four to seven games. You know, I remember the World Series that always resonates with me was that the Cubs Guardians or whatever they were back uh, then um, with, the, you know, the Rajay Davis home run and yeah. then the, the weather UConn delay. Avery point legend like, Rajay Davis, baby. Yeah, UConn, UConn Avery Point even. Yeah, yeah. like what a, what, a, what, a, what, a, what a guy. But, yeah, like things like that, you know, those are the ones that like really resonate in my head. Unfortunately, Brand, as Yankee fans, we our, our memories of stuff like that are, are faded. Yeah, <clears throat> are, are faded to the – Man, I remember going into art class and talking with our boy Mitch and just being so excited that the Yankees won the World Series. Little did I know that even was like the last I was saying for the last while. few years, I've just been like, I just want them to get there. Like, I just want yeah. them to get there. But yeah, you know, like uh, if you know, for the te- fans of teams that do win the World Series, good for you. That's that's a, that's a hell of a feeling. Yeah. All right. I got March Madness. I got Olympics. We've got some other major sports here in America that I feel like I need to take the finals for. Uh, Pat, I feel like it's more, I'm not, okay, full disclosure, I'm between the Stanley Cup finals and the NBA finals. I figured. Me personally, it's the NBA finals because I actually watch the NBA, but I will say the few times I have tuned into playoff hockey and all of the people that have told me about playoff hockey, they're like, it is lit. And I'm, I agree. With that yeah. said, I am going to go ahead and take the NBA finals. Oh, um, really? I, I am. It's it just, I feel like. You know, you've got NBA Twitter, you've got people all over the internet that are obsessed with honestly more yelling about basketball than actually watching it. But at the very least, that (laughs) whole community is so active during the NBA finals that, and I feel like sometimes it's the only time all year that those sewer rats actually watch basketball. Um, I think that makes the NBA finals special in its own way. And of course, I'm very much enjoying this one this year. And I'm about to go there. I can't, I can't. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) See, honestly, I was not going to – if you take in the Stanley Cup finals, I was not going to take the NBA finals. But since really? you flipped me, okay. I, mean, I will take the Stanley Cup finals. Okay. Again, as, as a guy that's not really um, a huge hockey fan, um, again, it's just atmosphere. And hockey fans are very, very intense, very dedicated. Yeah, very like, much so. And it's just such a – again, just such a high-intensity thing. You know, I like I said, I'd, I'd put it in terms of the big four American sports, I do put it behind the, the Super Bowl and the World Series. But I, I, mm-hmm. I would put it ahead of the NBA finals. I think that's fair. Uh, Pat, I'm about to take the most exciting sporting event that happens every single year. Damn it, just do it and break my heart. The absolute best event in the history of American sports, the Pro Bowl. No, I'm not taking the Pro Bowl. Um, Pat, I'm actually not going to take anything that you want here. I'm going to take something that you can throw a flag on if you want, but I think it would be a misguided flag. I'm taking WrestleMania. 
Sure. Whatever, whatever anybody says, it's a live event full of athleticism. There can be, I mean, pro wrestling haters out there. I'm sure there are a few of you, but the spectacle of it. I mean, if you haven't, there are people out there that don't like wrestling that have just, you know, stumbled into a WrestleMania and they were like, that was fucking awesome. Like the theatrics of that particular event, as opposed to just a weekly Raw or SmackDown episode is (laughs) wild. Um, They always pull out all the stops to make sure, you know, that their match is memorable. WrestleMania is something I've been to many, many times and would probably choose, you know, over some of these other ones. So I'm going to take that and and mix it up a little bit. That's fine. That's fair. Honestly, I wanted you to take what I thought you were going to take because I've got a dilemma now here. Obviously, Mm -hmm. my two favorite kind of outside sports are golf and motorsports. Obviously, the Mm -hmm. Daytona 500 fucking sucks. Like, no one cares. Like, that that, that is not something. So right now, I'm debating between the Masters and the Indy 500, which I believe to be the, the, um, you know, over things like, you know, the F1 Monaco race at 24 hours of Le Mans. Like, Mm -hmm. I think the Indy 500 is the one. But I'm going to go with the Masters for my last okay. pick. I just think, like, you you know, you, you see, you know, it starts in, like, fucking November during these football things where CBS just starts playing these Masters and the music and Jim Nance, mm-hmm. and it's just such yep. a low-key kind of vibe. Like, there's nothing better than just sitting on the couch for four straight days just relaxing and watching the Masters. It, in the history, I, I've, I've, I would be remiss to not put it on my board with the opportunity. I think that's fair, Pat. I am not going to go to mo- the motorsport round. I am also going to go the golf round. This is my wild card pick. This is the one I said last week where, you know, we talked about how we were going to do this draft, and I was like, there might be one that you wouldn't expect. What are you taking, the fucking Travelers Championship? I am taking the Waste Management Phoenix Open. Oh! The most lit golf oh, event see, yeah, like out the there. Complete polar opposite of the <laughs> exactly. Masters. Total opposite. You, at the Masters, if you sneeze wrong, you get kicked out. Waste Management Phoenix Open, they want you to throw shit. They want you to be a lunatic. I think it's just... Maybe the most unique American sporting event, and so I, I couldn't let it go undrafted. Especially with, especially with how uppity with golf is, you know. As much yeah. as we all love golf, it's an uppity, you know, like basically rich white people sport. That's yeah. what they wanted it to be many years <laughs> right. ago. But yeah, it's yeah that see oh that was not on my radar at all. But that that's a that's a fun one. Aside, did you did you see yesterday? I don't know if you saw what happened in the Canadian Open, but. Uh, Nick Thomas won his first tournament. He is Canadian, yeah. first Canadian to win in 69 years. Nice. And nice. um, so like some of his you know fellow Canadian golfers you know kind of stormed the green. And this guy Adam Hadwin, he he was kind of in a hoodie, so he just got fucking decked by security. <laughs> like you you got to find that video. You, Brand, are oh, you guys man. watching? You guys have to watch. There's some great shots of Adam Hadwin just getting fucking destroyed. By oh, um, awesome. but oh, this guy made a seventy-two foot putt to win in a in a playoff. It was it was electric. People are saying it's one of the biggest moments in Canadian sports history. I don't know if we have any uh, listeners from Canada right now. Feel free to chime in. But yeah, that's a, that, that's a hell of a video. Any of our Canadian audience, feel free to message us and let us know how you felt about it. All right, just to recap the draft, Pat has the Super Bowl, the World Cup, World Series, Stanley Cup Finals, and the Masters. I have March Madness, the Olympics, the NBA Finals, WrestleMania, and the Waste Management Open. I think you probably won this one. I was going to say, I'm this is the one time, list. you know, that we've done a lot of these drafts where I've been like, yeah, you've got it. Or I've been like, oh, it's up mm-hmm. for debate. But this is the one that I feel like I, I got I think, this. I, I think, think this is the one, one that I could firmly put the feather in my cap on this one. Yeah. 
All right, as always, we're going to end this with our viewer questions, Pat. Which non-first-round rookie wide receiver excels the most this year? Uh, to be honest, Pat, I didn't really research this. Honestly, the only one I can think of right now is freaking Jonathan Mingo. So let me look up the NFL draft wide receivers real quick. Oh, I read the question to, uh, wrong. <laughs> what did you read? How did you read it? I more so thought it was... I thought it was like a non-rookie wide receiver. I was about oh, to say you were talking okay. about Traylon Burks. So I'm yeah, let's, let's, let's work together Burks here. Again. Work together <laughs> to research. Okay, I've got mine because I was trying to think of who they were. Um, I've got Josh Downs. I think Josh Downs is going to have sort of an immediate role on this Colts offense. I don't know. You know, this is becoming more and more of a fantasy podcast, which is what I want it to be, to be honest with you. Um, I don't know how much fantasy value he's going to have, but I think he'll be a solid safety valve for Anthony Richardson and maybe a guy that does end up with some standalone fantasy value alongside my Michael Pittman, Josh Downs being a third round pick out of North Carolina. Um, I feel good about him as, as a non first round receiver. Yeah. You, you know, John, Jonathan Mingo is a, um, is, is a good one, but uh, I'm going to go in a different direction. I'm going to stay in the AFC South though. And I'm going to go tank Dell from the, uh, okay. from yeah. the, from the Texans there. Cause this was a guy that once they drafted CJ Stroud, CJ Stroud said, I want tank Dell. I, I want this yeah. guy on my team. And again, you know, they've kind of muddied it up there. You, you know, you've got Nico Collins, you've got Robert Woods, you've got Dalton Schultz. But at the end of the day, like, none of those guys are like, oh, uh, John Mechie as well. None of those guys are like slam dunks to kind of emerge as the lead target. So I think Tank Dell could worm his way in there. And maybe if not for this year, but maybe for uh, uh, more of a long-term thing. And, uh, you know, um, a guy, a former, former SWAT guy started off at Alabama A&M, but he did get drafted out of Houston. Mm, okay. Third round pick. Yes, that is correct. Oh, he was pick 69. Yeah, I have to go with it. Nice. Very nice. All right. And then with our final question, most underrated player at the running back position. So obviously a lot of ways you can go here. Um, I, Pat, going up and down these depth charts right now, I I come back to a guy we spent a lot of time talking about a little while ago, Jarek McKinnon. I'm going to take Jarek McKinnon. I mean, he's a guy so, so productive, fits that Chiefs offense so well, and a guy who people are so eager to just push aside and push down the depth chart for Isaiah Pacheco. He's not going anywhere, folks. I hate to break it to you. He is a very, very good player. See, I'm going to go a little bigger here because, again, this is a guy who's probably – well, he is being drafted as an RB1. We'll probably talk about him next week. I'm going to go Tony Pollard here. Like, I I think that this guy is truly an elite running back. We finally got to see it last year that he was just being held back by an aging, slow Ezekiel Elliott. We saw what he could do as a dual-threat guy with very little competition in that backfield this year. I think he is really going to excel. I think he's going to be – he's going to show that he is truly elite. Yeah, he's a guy that, you know, I've done a few tentative mock drafts here, and he's a guy that I just, every time I get him in the second round, I feel like I'm stealing. Oh I feel like I'm robbing someone. Like, I've already snatched up, you know, be it Saquon or a receiver or something in the first, and I get to come around, I get Tony Pollard, I feel, yeah. I feel rich. In, in a league I was in, I traded, like, Amon Ra St. Brown, in the package I got back had Tony Pollard in it, and I got fucking skewered, like, destroyed. <laughs> you know, my team was in last place, but I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I just like these guys. And then every week I'd be like, hey, guys, just uh, I want to check in on Tony Pollard again. How, I just want to circle Tony back. Do? How's Tony do? I did end doing, up coming guys? in last in the league anyway, but the guy that I made the trade with did not win. So they, oh, they, they got no then. dirt on me. But, yeah, uh, it, was, it was just even more beautiful to watch him go off knowing that, you know, I was going to be a further thorn in these people's sides. 
Absolutely. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this week's Off the Bench. Next week, we'll be talking about, look, if anything happens with Hopkins or Cook, we'll obviously be all on top of it. Uh, Fantasy-wise, we are moving on to the NFC NFC? next week, Pat. I don't know what division. I'll I'll make a decision, Uh, but you guys will have to tune in and figure out which NFC division we are going to talk about first. We'll go through all of them over the course of the next four episodes. Guys, for Pat Gustafson, I am Brandon Carney, and we will see you guys next week. Bye-bye.